Welcome to the Contino Podcast, the place for conversations about digital transformation. Last time we spoke to AI and ML practice lead Byron Allen and senior consultant Jeff Nightingale, all about generative AI. In this episode, we share part two of that conversation. It's short and sweet, but we cover a lot. What do consumers not want from generative AI? What are the first steps businesses should take? And how can we navigate the worries and what-ifs to envisage a positive future where generative AI could solve some of humanity's most urgent problems? Enjoy the episode, and as always, if you'd like to learn more about generative AI or how Contino can support your business, email hello at contino.io. We start with Byron asking Jeff about the day-to-day of his work, supporting industries through data. Talk to us about what you do on a day-to-day basis. As a data scientist, you're sort of using data to try and improve business outcomes or, you know, customer outcomes. I mean, that can be a myriad of things. So, I mean, just doing basic sort of analysis of, of data to understand sort of trends, different patterns, or building, you know, statistical models, which could be quite simple, fitting a line to some data points, you know, linear regression, to using, you know, slightly more advanced techniques. So using, you know, tree-based methods, gradient boosting to predict something. And as like a practitioner, I guess, how much do you feel like what's coming out with generative AI kind of overlaps with what you've done in the past? I mean, that's a really good question. So, I mean, I think there is there is significant overlap, like in terms of um, you know the use cases. I guess focusing specifically on you know like the NLP um, sort of world. So, like you've got sentiment analysis. Um, we kind of do that before, but you know we can do that maybe better with um, generative AI classification. Sort of like the generative part of generative AI is what's what's new, like. The, the ability to create something that didn't previously exist or, you know, summarize documents, complete documents, write something novel or edit a document to make it sound more professional. And if you're to take that kind of new technology and if you're thinking about like the older, older jobs, gigs, engagements that you're on, where would you want to bring that technology, generative AI into that mix? I mean, one area which I've looked at sort of previously is in um, customer sort of service or operations, like handling, uh, you know, queries you know, from customers, queries that might come in through, I guess, like, you know, phone calls and get transcribed or, you know, coming through email or even SMS. And how do you categorize and sort of handle those those queries like in an automated fashion? And I guess previously, like, you know, we, we've, we've had previous generation NLP techniques kind of handle that to some level, like in terms of being able to identify categories. So we can do that through supervised learning, you know, through the data we've got, we can hand label those to say, Hey, this was like a call about, you know, changing an address or someone's on holiday, so they can't make a payment or, you know, those types of things. But I think gen AI, there's an opportunity to sort of improve, like not just the categorization or the, or the labeling of, you know, customer queries, but also, you know, have like an interactive thing going on. When you say an interactive thing going on, you mean like how the user interfaces with the model or? Well, I mean, yeah, instead of a customer sort of sending emails or or whatever, sending an SMS, they can interact with a a chatbot directly, which they can then sort of handle the processing of their queries from there on and and send it to the right team to sort of, to act on. If you looked at 
the work that we'd done in the past with dialogue flow, a lot of the emphasis in those engagements was more on the conversational flow and getting the design right, kind of guiding people through specific nodes of a conversation in order to get them to the right place. And the actual machine learning part of that, you'd have kind of like a small machine learning uh, model at each node to kind of direct it in the right direction. So it wasn't, we weren't using large language models. These are basically small language models to kind of point to the next node and carry people through the conversation in the right path and help them exit the conversation as well if they needed to go back to a previous state within that conversation. I guess the thing with generative models now, the thing that's interesting is you could start building, you know, working with prompt engineering to create that conversational flow. It's not like it's a direct conversational flow per se, but you could prompt engineer a lot of that design process out of the way by basically just giving this generalized uh, large language model a lot of very strict rules. So you could have like an end-to-end workflow as opposed to having a combination of sort of fixed rules and ML. It's sort of like shifting the rules from the the, the flow of the conversation and, and in between different models and letting one model kind of give it rules to follow. Uh, so it's, I mean, I think there's still rules in, uh, of how the conversation should go, especially because in the context of e-commerce or, you know, you go to a tax agency, they will have chatbots or wherever. Uh, these are relatively specific conversations, you know. I don't really want to have a deep and meaningful conversation with HMRC's chatbot about, you know, philosophy. It's a narrow uh, subject. It's your taxes or, you know, you go to an e-commerce site, it's it's related to the products and services that you're receiving. So you want to put constraints and guardrails on it. The question is, where do you do that? Historically, you would have done that through some sort of like workflow that was more similar to how we process data in software engineering, whereas with large language models, there's a dynamic where it could change. I think the interesting thing is, does it offer you enough, like does it offer you tight enough guardrails for you to be okay with that? That's, I think, the question you need to be asking yourself as uh, as a user. How tight do your guardrails need to be, and are you able to accomplish that through prompt engineering? Yeah. How do we implement sort of guardrails around you know outputs from sort of LLMs to make sure that they're giving us the outcomes that we want? Yeah, exactly. And I think you can see that OpenAI has done a lot to put guardrails around GPT three, GPT four. We don't know everything about what they do. There's educated guesses. There's some conversations around and speculation around what that is. And you know that could be through fine tuning of the model, better prompts. You know there might be a header to the prompt that you don't see in the case of ChatGPT that helps facilitate the experience that you get with ChatGPT, which is something everybody should be doing. Is thinking about is like you know what kind of like if you want to focus a a chatbot or these generative AI models into one conversation, you really need to set the context in the prompt before you give that prompt to the user. Where should a company's first steps be in this space? How should they look at it? Let's just take like a chatbot as an example. Like how do you know that a chatbot's better using what we've currently got versus using sort of generative AI? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be like comparing two different services. You know, a chatbot at the end of the day is just a software service. And so you might start looking at things like NPS, for example, or... Um, in the case of like claims, and if you're putting like um, 
users through a, a chat service, you might want to look at like number of complaints. Actually, in theory, complaints could go down using a chatbot service. The reason being, for example, there has been research into uh, into the medical industry and the responses that generative AI gives in the medical context. And there's very strong indications that patients like the way the information is presented to them by the chatbot more than a doctor because of the way it's phrased. And and ChatGPT in particular, but also in this class of models, is kind of known for presenting information in a way where it's, it seems quite neutral and there is something, it doesn't feel somehow biased, which I think is an observation a lot of people have made. So... Um, that's something to consider when releasing a service. Maybe if that is a facet of a service that would be useful, then this, this kind of technology could be useful in that regard. I think this is something that's been talked about. Are we removing our humanity if we do pursue AGI? And I think it's worth remembering what, what's going on right now, which is a lot of the main companies that are pursuing this technology, Anthropic, OpenAI, the stated goal is that they're pursuing AGI. So is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? How do you see this? I mean, I think we can only, I think we could fairly assume that these technologies are only going to get better in terms of being like more sort of factual or, or more convincing or maybe having some form of like intelligence. Um, I think at the moment they're not really intelligent. It's trying to predict the next sort of token and a string of tokens. And maybe there is some intelligence there. Um, like they learn some kind of abstract world model, but they don't have agency at the moment. You know, they don't have a reason to do things outside of us. Do, do you want them to have agency? Asking. <laughs> well, that's the question. I mean, uh, yeah. if we're building AGI, like essentially they'll, we'll need to somehow design agency into, into them. And I think longer term, you know, that raises some important questions for Society and you know human beings like how do we want to spend our time? Because um, you you could probably assume that of all the jobs that get replaced by AI, there's not going to be a con- commensurate sort of new number of jobs being created, right? Yeah. So what are people going to do? <laughs> yeah, if, I mean this this is getting into the existential threat of AGI and where it goes, and I, I think the the thing that concerns me, which I think is maybe we might actually see sooner rather than later is, you know, what is the effect of, of this on our own sense of humanity and our own sense of self? Like, yeah, I think there will be job loss from, from this, but there also, you know, the society will have to figure out where we want this from that broader perspective. But in the more immediate future, you know, if you do have generalized AGI type AI like ChatGPT, if it is replacing fundamental services like, you know, our own creative capacity to write uh, emotionally intelligent letters, if we're using it, if we're allowing it to do that, is that really helpful or is that kind of taking something away from us? I think it's quite interesting as well because I think, you know, those sort of creative things that people do, you know, like writing poetry or creating art, um, music. I think a few years ago, like maybe those sort of domains were sort of having the least risk of being affected by AI, but I think you know generative AI has kind of turned that on its head, like to some degree, has like really interesting sort of like implications around what what do we value as as humans? Also, like what is an artist, right? Is it their representation as a within the model, or is it them themselves? Do they have ownership over their representation as the model? 
I think there's the beginning of legal battles around this kind of space. Going to be very interesting in the next couple of years to see how it all pans yeah, out. Yeah, I mean plagiarism and and all that, you know, copyright infringement. And there's some there's some artists who actually actively are out there that want to obtain the license and ownership over their their model voice, for example, so that they can use that voice so that their fans can take the model and create their own songs. And that's that could be a, a reinterpretation of of art. So I mean it does seem like there maybe it opens up new doors and new avenues whilst also simultaneously closing some other ones. Totally. I mean, it kind of levels the playing field, doesn't it? I think that's one of the impacts of generative AI, not just in in art, but in a lot of things like, you know, in terms of having chat GPT where you can just converse with it, you know, ask it stuff, learn things like in a style which is like suitable for you. So I think that's, you know, that'll be a big thing, like customized sort of learning assistance, that type of thing. But yeah, I think generative AI really sort of, in some ways, levels the the playing field in terms of being able to produce things, being able to maybe acquire information yeah. to some degrees. But I guess the flip side of that is that the the powers are like quite centralized in terms of who owns those tools and technologies. The capital that OpenAI alone has invested or has acquired to invest into this technology is massive, and it's it's not easily reproducible in that way. Uh, so. There's not going to be that many players that go out and attempt this, at least not to build it from scratch. We're talking a lot about the use as an individual of these general purpose large language models. But you know, if you're sitting there as a, a company or a new startup, where's where's the opportunity? Is I think what's on a lot of people's mind. And a lot of people are searching for what that is. And um, for me, it, like the question is, how do you approach it, or what's the low-hanging fruit? It's going to be very difficult, I think, for companies in highly regulated spaces to start adopting this technology unless they start adopting it in a capacity where it's where it's not used for a, a customer-facing output. So, for example, if they want to use it to classify documents, I think that's probably an, an easier thing for for them to achieve rather than say use it to fully automate the experience between a mortgage applicant and uh, and the bank, for example. I think there might be parts of that conversation that could be automated, but then you might want to have a human touch involved in that process as well, given the sensitive nature of it. So I think as these language models progress, we'll kind of be able to get more into that highly regulated space, I think. And as it becomes clear, like where companies, what policies they they need to work around, and how that interacts with their technology stack choice, you know, I think there will be a tendency to move towards open source models potentially, or if they can bring in models into their own environment and have it located in there. That I think highly regulated industries will need that to some degree. They don't want to ship their data off to an API, generally speaking. Even if you send it through like a data loss prevention API first and like mask it somehow, I think they're still going to be reticent to ship it off to you know OpenAI, for example. So I guess like analogous to maybe how you know every bank today has its own sort of suite of you know credit scoring models or marketing models, whatever. Uh, in the future, you know, uh, different companies will have you know their own sort of LLM, yeah, or LLMs or. I mean, yeah, I think, AI models. I think they could. Yeah, I think you might see a, a version of that where they had they start to have their own large language models. 
if you're worried about sending your data outside of your organization, I think you kind of have to start moving in that direction. The one thing that's interesting though is like what has captivated most people's attention right now is is kind of the general purpose of ChatGPT, but when it comes to how ML has traditionally been implemented and also how I think it might be implemented and going forward in the future, uh, it's going to be about kind of it will still be about tailoring it to specific needs. Like, will banks, for example, have their own central general purpose large language model that they use for anything and everything? I'm, I'm skeptical about that idea. I think they will have to contend with the idea that uh, corporations want to be able to control and put guardrails on actions. And so, you need transparency yeah. as well, right? Like, yeah, exactly. How are these models sort of, you know, making the decisions that that they're coming to? And I know there's a lot of research in that area, and we'll obviously make progress um, there. But at the moment, like, you know, it's still a, a an open question. I guess I think it'll be more about tailoring those kind of the usage through prompt engineering or fine tuning of these models uh, for relatively specific tasks. Although maybe now with this technology, you can start to broaden the definition of what that task is, but I think it will still, because entities will want those guardrails in place, you still have to make it relatively narrow. This is kind of an interesting aspect of machine learning, I think, for ML practitioners, is I think they are very excited about it, even though there is a bit of a doom doom and gloom aspect of it. It's going to be cool to see what people come up with, right? Like, I think... Like the use cases are not fully understood yet. I know there's a lot of ideas, but it's going to be, I think we're going to see people like do stuff with generative AI, which we didn't really think about before. And this can be really exciting. There's potential for this kind of technology to be very useful in generating data to train upon, which can help improve other models. And when it comes to generative AI specifically, I'm not sure because I think some of the bigger challenges actually are, are going to be potentially just outside of generative AI. So I guess I think of fusion energy. There's a lot of challenges around that, and I know machine learning can help accelerate that. Yeah, I think that's quite exciting. Like I think I don't think the models are there yet, but I think you know as they improve, like potentially going to build sort of like world models and have internal knowledge, which is going to be like novel and you know help us you know solve some of the bigger problems that. That we have, I think, much like we did with you know AlphaGo in terms of learning new Go strategies. I think, you know, at some stage down the line, we're going to get some really good insights from next generation of AI models. One thing about generative AI that is a big part of the narrative is it is really closely tied to the effective altruism movement. There's a lot of people within Silicon Valley that are part of the effective altruism movement. And there's like OpenAI's stated mission is to ensure that AI has a positive impact on humanity. I mean, if we keep going that way, if, if we do emphasize that aspect of it, I'm really excited to see where that goes. Thanks for listening to the Contino podcast. For more information, email hello at contino.io.